You're listening to the SSPX Podcast. This is a continuation of Father Mackin's series on catechism for young adults and children. If you would like to hear the first two episodes in this series, please just scroll back in your podcast feed or visit sspxpodcast.com and choose Episodes Catechism. Now, here's Father Mackin on the Fifth Commandment. Well, hello and welcome. My name is Father Patrick Mackin, and today I'll be giving you a catechism class on the second part of the Fifth Commandment. So we are in the book, My Catholic Faith, chapters 107 and 108. Uh, as a quick recap, there we, we covered the first part of the Fifth Commandment in the previous lesson, and that was chapters chapter 106. In that chapter, of course, we covered the basic teaching of the Fifth Commandment, which is, thou shalt not kill. Um, but we also saw the exceptions that the church would 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 accept where there could be a moment in justifiably taking another's life. So we saw those distinctions like the doctrine of just war, the doctrine of self-defense, as well as the um, the capital punishment. So any of those questions that you would like to go back to, if you haven't heard that lesson, perhaps that would be a good place to start. So we also saw other questions such as um, concerning the, the sin of euthanasia or mercy killing. We, we explored the question, is it okay to hunt animals and kill animals? Um, we even saw uh, the doctrine concerning modern day tattoos and piercings. Uh, which is always a uh, which always generates a sufficient amount of controversy among our youth. So, anyways, I, I refer you back if you have any questions or you would like to to cover that lesson again. But today we are moving on, and we're moving on again to the second part of the fifth commandment. What are we going to see in today's lesson? Well, we are going to see the following. We're going to see what are our duties concerning um, taking care of our health and and the life that we have. Uh, we're also going to see what is a bad example or scandal and how do we repair uh, the damage due to our, our bad example um, and sins that may result from that. Uh, a few other questions that we're going to look at uh, to cover throughout the lesson. Um, first, what, what does the church say about suicide? You know, we hear a lot in the news today about this awful, um, you know, form of of ending one's own life called suicide. What is the church's thought concerning suicide? Also, what about, is a Catholic forbidden um, to practice cremation? And finally, we're going to look at the, uh, the question of, you know, does the church forbid the drinking of alcohol or the use of drugs? So let's start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and never shall there be, world without end. Amen. Saint Joseph, pray for us, and Our Lady of Victory, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Well, dear friends, uh, we'd like to begin with a, a reflection. It's not much of a story, but it's, it's a reflection um, concerning the health of the body. Of course, we live in an age where you might say that this is majorly overemphasized. And yet, of course, we are bound by the fifth commandment to take care of our health and our life. But of course, that's in a reasonable and proportionate manner. Uh, this is a story which short, sort of shows um, just how the, in the confusion of the, of the modern mind, 
um, that we can maybe take a look at. Um, it was in the ever since the year, in fact, 1924, if you go to to Moscow in Russia, you will see that the Russians have carefully kept and honored the body of a dead man. The name the name of that man is Lenin. Now, Lenin, for those of you who don't know, is a sort of god to the Communist Party. Okay, and after his death, there uh, the Soviet leaders ordered two scientists to embalm their founder uh, for the ages to preserve him for the ages. And so, for months, these two scientists they worked on other corpses in order to find a method in which they could, um, you know, preserve Lenin. And so at first they did not succeed, but after some efforts, they, they realized that, that, they, uh, that they could preserve his body for at least two years. And so after so much effort and time and money and all this, um, when, they, when they realized actually that his body could be preserved for longer than two years, um, they, they boastfully proclaimed that his body would last forever. And so, you know, his body is still, still to this day um, is, is there laying in a, in a coffin um, and millions and millions of Russians have followed past his remains in order to get a close look at him. Um, he's in an air-conditioned room and obviously the, the body is sealed and under close observation. Um, and even despite all their efforts, the body is still decomposing and still discoloring despite all those efforts to preserve it. Now, what is the purpose of, of bringing this up? Um, well, you might say that, see, that this is man's effort to preserve something which, you know, which in the law of nature is not, is not supposed to be preserved. We have examples among um, incorrupt saints in the Catholic Church of bodies that have died hundreds of years ago and that are perfectly preserved. I think of St. Bernadette. Um, the beautiful young girl who the, Our Lady appeared to in Lourdes in the 1800s and to whom heard those words from the mouth of Our Blessed Mother that she was the Immaculate Conception. And Bernadette was preserved, no doubt, because she saw the Blessed Mother and she saw the beauty and the purity of Our Lady. And so if you go to Nevers in France, uh, you go to visit the church there, you will see um, the body of this girl. And no, it is not because scientists embalmed her, or it is not because she is kept, kept carefully in an air-conditioned room. <laughs> um, and she died much longer ago than 1924. And so we also think of our Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, we are in the Easter tide right now. And, and soon, in just a few more weeks, we're going to have Ascension Thursday, which is the day in which Christ's body, um, in, its, in its glorified state, uh, rose from this earth and ascended into heaven uh, to be united in heaven with his, with his Father and the Holy Ghost forever. And so we can see, you know, what a far cry uh, is the effort of the, the God of the communist, if you, if you want to call him that, Lenin, what a far cry that is from the true God, from our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the true founder of the Christian faith. And we see the, the radical difference there. So now the first thing we're going to see is under the title of what, is, what are the duties that we have concerning our health and our life? So obviously, um, we have an obligation 
to preserve our life and our health. And that is within reason. Okay? And the, the, the teaching here stems from the fact that man must not encroach upon God's dominion over life. So God is the ultimate source of life. We are stewards of the body. Okay? Our bodies belong to God. They came from God and they will return to God. And, uh, and we should also keep, keep in mind that the body is an instrument of the eternal soul and therefore must be treated with proper respect. So that means that, yes, man must be prudent to preserve his health. Okay, you, you've heard the old saying, cleanliness is next to godliness. Okay, and, uh, and this is why um, we always encourage the parents to train their children uh, to keep a clean room, to, to, to make their bed in the morning. As I always remember a priest saying one time, he said uh, to the students, he said, you know, show me your bedroom and I'll show you your soul. <laughs> and we, we see that and we can laugh a little bit because not all the times perhaps is it, is it accurate. But certainly an ordered, an ordered way of life is going to show an ordered soul. Um, parents should also encourage their kids to practice temperance at the meals. Remember that eating a balanced diet and, and, and even having desserts, but at the appropriate time, is all a part of, of regulating the, the health of the body. And of course, here we can pause and just think uh, for a moment just about how blessed we are with so much food in our households. And so we have to remember that, you know, we do live in a country, though, that is known for its obesity. And so one can see that, that growing rate of obesity among children in the United States of America. And that is uh, that's certainly a sign that we're perhaps not teaching that temperance to our children uh, as a whole. So under this, uh, then this, this, um, this teaching here, the cleanliness is next to godliness. You know, we saw the fact that, that yes, parents should, should teach their children to keep, keep a clean room. And children should want to keep a clean room, huh? Uh, to make their bed, there should be a desire at a certain age for that cleanliness. The second thing we just saw was the the temperance at the meal, and the third thing that we're going to see is that um, that truly that we we must provide to the children a sufficient uh, amount of exercise. So we live in a video game generation. And so um, we're hoping that children are still eager enough to go outside and to play uh, and that dads and their kids are still throwing the baseball in the backyard. Still now exploring this question on uh, the duty of preserving our health, we can now look to uh, imprudent actions. And we can say that imprudent actions are sinful um, because they can injure the body. A classic example of this is uh, for the youth. I mean, we think of the youth and all the things that they, that they do or that they might try to do. For instance, youth showing off you know, on, the, on the road with excessive speeding with their car. Um, another example. Uh, is when, you know, carrying out a dangerous dare, such as trying to cross railroad tracks when a train is approaching. Um, don't recommend it. Um, also, you know, maybe playing with a loaded firearm or some other weapon or, or experimenting with drugs and alcohol. You know, these actions, uh, as, as fun or as innocent as some of them may seem, these actions um, have caused countless deaths and injuries, you know, to beautiful souls for many, for, for a long time now. And uh, so, again, that imprudence, that exposing myself to danger, our Lord did himself, our Lord said that he who loves danger will perish in it.
So we have to be very careful. Um, you know, I think back to high school, and uh, there was a, uh, a couple friends of mine, in fact, that were killed in car crashes um, our senior year. And um, bo in both cases, um, you know, they were, they were actually um, delivering pizza. They were pizza delivery guys for the local pizzeria. And while I don't know all the details, uh, it was the gen it was the general knowledge that you know these these young men they were speeding they were speeding you know down the road and the weather condition wasn't wasn't good and uh, and they lost control of their cars and I remember the painful pause on the day of graduation when we were standing on the football field and they read out these these young men they read out their names and there was that pause and that silence and just sadness in so many. And so many of our hearts because uh, they should have been there they should have been among us receiving their their diploma and graduating with joys and having their families there full of excitement but rather their families were there uh, full of sorrow because of that imprudent action and so we must remember uh, that yes our actions have um, severe consequences in this life and that we must think before we act uh, moving on to a third point now, where we're going to consider, um, you know, women and girls, how they, they should be careful themselves because they should be careful that they do not cause injury to their health in an effort to be more beautiful in appearance. So it's obviously no, uh, no news flash that we live in an age of excessive vanity. And that's especially going to uh, greatly influence our, our, our young girls in our, in our families and in our schools. Um, the news, in fact, is full of stories of poor girls who are developing in, you know, eating disorders in an effort to always look good or to be thinner. And so parents and friends must be vigilant. It must be vigilant to help and encourage them to see through these excessive vanities of our modern culture uh, and to accept our limitations as coming from the wisdom of God. You know, we also like to remind uh, people that, you know, beauty, uh, beauty is fleeting and beauty can even be seen as a, as a curse, you know, to, to those who have it. Uh, obviously, beauty um, is going to cause excessive vanities, but also a lot more temptations. So you think about, there's been many, many beautiful people who have gone down the road of self-destruction now for centuries. Uh, as we're warned in the Bible, in the book of Ecclesiasticus, chapter 1, um, there's nothing new under the sun. You know, all is vanity and vexation of spirit, it says in the book of Ecclesiasticus. So while, of course, you, we know that, uh, that God will, will give as a gift uh, beauty to some, uh, it, is, it is, again, something that we should not uh, excessively, excessively desire in this life. So now we're moving on to the second part of our catechism, where we're going to see what is bad examples or scandals, and how do I repair damage um, from them? So first of all, bad example, uh, in the presence of others, is the occasion of scandal. Okay, which is any words or deeds uh, having the appearance of evil that may encourage our neighbor into sin. So bad examples and scandal is a violation of the fifth commandment because they inflict injury to our neighbor's soul. So deliberate bad example and scandal that is done with the intention to cause another to commit a grave sin is like a murderer. So St. Augustine actually says this. You know, he says, quote, If thou persuade thy neighbor to sin, thou art his murderer. 
So we can see that our bad example is, and, and therefore our scandal, can really cause a great harm and damage in the soul of another, even, even going so far as to kill grace in that person's soul. So we are likened to a murderer on the spiritual level. Now, our Lord clearly condemned all forms of scandal. He says in the book of Matthew, chapter 18, Woe to the man through whom scandal does come. And we can see just how destructive scandals um, must be to make our Lord, who is so meek and humble of heart, to respond as he does earlier in the chapel, in the chapter of Matthew, in chapter 13, verses 41. He says that the Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all scandals and those who work iniquity, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. So our Lord here, he's obviously warning us to be vigilant, to be vigilant and to watch out for those who would, who would cause scandal. Um, we should also be very careful and to watch out that ourselves, that we don't be the occasion of scandal. Uh, he says in the, in, in the, in the uh, chapter 18 of Matthew, verses 9, quote, And if thy eye is the occasion of sin to thee, pluck it out, for it is better for thee to have one eye. Than, to have, than having two eyes to be cast into the, into the hell of fire. So, of course, this is understood as a, um, on the spiritual level, that we ought to try our hardest to, you know, to accept whatever limitations God has given us in this life, to not desire more than what we have. You know, St. Alphonsus tells us a story about a certain blind man, for instance, uh, who went on a pilgrimage to the shrine of St. Thomas of Canterbury to ask for a miracle. And this, this blind man was favored, in fact, with the grace of healing. And he, he was restored his vision. He was so happy. But on the way home, after the pilgrimage, uh, this man, his eyes fell upon some sinful sights. And so the man was really disturbed. Now he could see. And in seeing, that brings consequences. So the man actually goes back to the shrine, and he asked God to take away his sight if it were better for his eternal salvation. Whereupon, um, we're told by the story of St. Alphonsus, whereupon the man fell blind again and, and this time was truly happy because he saw that, you know, uh, that in fact God has the plan for us. So let us be careful with what we pray for, the miracles that we pray for. Um, perhaps sometimes the, the best miracle is just to pray that we can accept our limitations, to accept what crosses we have. Let's now take a quick look at uh, what are some examples of scandal and how hopefully we can avoid the following. Uh, first of all, one can give scandal by indecent speech or vulgar conversations. Another way we can give scandal is by selling or promoting bad pictures or videos. Thirdly, by dressing immodestly. Fourthly, by appearing drunk in public. Uh, the fifth, and, and this is pretty common these days, is by the doing of unnecessary servile work on Sundays. Uh, and lastly, by, you might say, by our behavior in church, you know, clowning around in church during mass or making fun of religious. These, and, and there's many others, these are just some of the, the, the more popular ones, you might say, uh, opportunities in which we can give scandal. But if you think about these, those actions that I just read, that, that short list, and you think about, you know, people who might do that so casually these days with our speech, with the way we dress, with the way we appear in public, with what we do on Sundays. And you think about how casual 
the world can be in, yet these actions carry with them a great scandal to innocent souls and can even um, lead uh, souls into that direction of thinking that those things are okay. And that is especially true of children. Children are like little sponges. They are going to just, they're going to uh, accept and, and they're going to imitate what they behold. And so our Lord has some severe warnings for us. In chapter 18 of Matthew, he says, quote, He that shall scandalize one of these little ones that believe in me, it would be better for him that a millstone be tied about his neck and that he would be drowned in the depths of the sea. So, you know, and this, this should be true of, of everyone who is in a position uh, to influence children. So whether you're parents, whether you're teachers, uh, us priests, or, or state or public officials, everyone should take such care to make sure especially that they are on their best behavior when there are children who are watching. What are some ways in which parents or public officials or even a brother and sister um, might avoid giving scandal to, uh, to little children? Well, think about it. Now, parents, for instance, it says in our, in our outline, parents who are always arguing in front of their children, um, you know, to, to try their hardest to only have their arguments. Uh, um, hopefully they're, they're not too heated, but to have them, you know, behind the in, in behind closed doors so that the children are not able to hear what is being said. Public officials, um, you know, should avoid their hardest uh, to um, to give bad example by breaking the laws, for instance, of gambling or, or immorality. Older brothers who go to bad places or teach their younger siblings bad actions or words are guilty of the sin of scandal. They should avoid that at all costs. And even older sisters who are excessively vain or always trying to push the boundaries of what is, you know, what is modest clothing um, would do well to avoid those actions, again, for the sake of causing scandal to the little ones. So now before we move on, I'd like to see with you um, another story, a story which uh, is about scandals and one which might drive home the point that scandal is something very serious, in fact. Uh, there lived a, a few years ago a famous potter by the name of Josiah Wedgwood. Okay? He was especially uh, known for his beautiful vases that he, that he made. And one day there came into his pottery a wealthy customer. Now Wedgwood asked the boy that worked for him, a, a lad of 15 years, a 15-year-old boy, and to show the visitor through the plant. The stranger that came uh, was just as filthy, we're told in the story, as he was wealthy. Filthy in the way that he talked. Okay, He would curse and he swore as this boy led this man through the, the, the factory uh, so that he could you know, find what vase he wanted to purchase. And at first, the boy was shocked at the man's behavior and, and his language, his crude remarks. But then the boy started to laugh. The boy started to, to find it funny. Um, meanwhile, the owner, this uh, Josiah Wedgwood, he overheard what was being said and some of the off-colored jokes and conversation. And so at the end of the tour, the famous potter, he picked up an unusually beautiful vase and he called attention to this gentleman and called him over and was showing and explaining him how beautiful this vase was with its variety of color and its gorgeous design. The visitor was delighted and wanted, in fact, to purchase this. And so the famous potter, he reached the, the, uh, the vase closer to the man so that the man could take it. And just as the man began to touch it, the potter let it go. And this 
beautiful vase fell to the ground and broke into a thousand pieces. What's the idea, shouted the, the visitor. I wanted to buy that vase. And so the, the owner, the Josiah Wedgwood, replied, Friend, there are things more precious than any vase, things that can never be restored once they're ruined. I can make another vase, just like that one, but you can never make another clean heart, another simple faith, like that which you have taken from the boy working for me. So in this great example, we, we learn that that message is driven home more clearly, the fifth commandment, which thou shalt not kill. It forbids us to injure our neighbor in his body or in his soul. And so always remember that to destroy a soul is much worse than to destroy a body. That man in that story, you know, he destroyed, in, in so to speak, the soul of that 15-year-old boy by his language, by his, uh, you know, inappropriate jokes. And so we have to always remember then, examine well this, uh, this question and avoid, as best as you can, uh, giving scandal to people. Okay, so now we're down to three more questions for the catechism. So I hope that you're not too fatigued. If so, uh, feel free to get a cup of coffee. <laughs> um, so the next three questions are going to be concerning suicide, concerning cremation, and finally concerning the use of alcohol and drugs. So first, suicide. Uh, and immediately, you know, if, if you're thinking of the Gospels, you think of poor Judas, the apostle that took his life. You know, and so as we enter into this, into this question, it's, it's very sad when we think about uh, the poor souls who every day all around the world are ending their own life. And so we're, we're going to see now, what does the church think of this? Well, obviously, suicide is a grave sin, and for three reasons. Number one, because it offends God, who is the arbiter of life and death. He is the one that decides when life begins and when life ends. Man cannot take that. The second uh, reason that suicide is a grave sin is because it damns one's soul forever to hell. And the third reason is that it leaves the poor family of that person with, with such a heavy burden and so for those three reasons, that it offends God, that it will damn your soul, and thirdly, that it will plunge your family into great sadness. Now, as a consequence, those who commit suicide will be refused Christian burial by the church. And um, a lot of people don't understand this. You know, they think that the church perhaps should be more compassionate or more considerate. Um, but remember that the church, in, in so refusing to give the public burial to someone who committed suicide, the church is, is only there trying to show her public condemnation of this sin, that she does not approve of this type of behavior. Okay? It's not that the church is saying for sure that this soul is in hell. Okay? The church will continue to pray for such a person as only God truly knows what that individual was suffering uh, and what that individual went through leading up to the moment in which they took their own life. Suicide is certainly a reason for the lack of religion. So because the, the people without religion when they reach the point of despair, they have no one, no one to turn to. You know, despair is the false belief that even God has abandoned us. And often that poor soul arrives at the darkness of despair through, you know, a serious crime having been discovered or uh, something of their past life that was hidden away, that, that was discovered or, or whatever it is. And so the advice that we have to give to those poor people um, who are tempted 
in shooting themselves or, or taking poison or whatever is not to do any of those things, but rather to cling to God with sincere sorrow for your sins and, and with the hope that, that Almighty God will take you through this period of darkness in your life. And it's so sad when we see the news and especially the teenagers, especially the teenagers, because they're, they're trying so hard growing up in a world that, that, is, you know, that is lost its bearing and that no longer do we have the public references uh, of God in our culture. And so, you know, we're, we're being taught by the adults to basically just, you know, enjoy yourself, to have fun. It's a hedonistic society, we, we say, that is driving for ple- more and more pleasure. And so the teenagers growing up in this environment, they, they see the example of the adults and, and, and this is life. And so oftentimes, you know, it's through alcohol, through drugs, or through crime, uh, through depression or whatever, that teenagers are flirting with the idea of ending their own life. And so again, we must pray for them. We must help them as much as we can to see just how beautiful, how precious life really is. Now, another form of suicide is actually what is known as duels or fights. Now, these used to occur more in the past. A duel was a combat carried out between two persons who fought with deadly weapons, okay? And usually there was a witness as well called the second, and this this witness um, would would be the, the one that, that would observe this, this fight. Now, the duelist is usually guilty of, of a double murder in this case. The duelist, a double murder, why? Well, because he intended to kill his opponent, and also he risked his own life, which could, have been, which could also um, be taken in the midst of the fight. What punishment does the church have for those who duel? Well, a Catholic is forbidden to duel with, um, and will be refused Christian burial, and also there is a penalty of excommunication for the duelist and also any of the witnesses. A common question that often comes up is, you know, the students will say, hey, Father, is it, a, is it considered suicide um, to save the life of another? If it means, you know, that you're certainly going to die in the midst of, of exposing yourself. Um, and so it's a, it's a great question, you know. So to formulate the question a little bit more accurately, we might say, is it considered suicide to help rescue someone um, if it exposes you to grave bodily harm or certain death. Okay, so to answer that question, um, first of all, it is not considered suicide, but rather highly meritorious to rescue our fellow man from physical or spiritual death. Now remember, Christ himself, he gave us the ultimate example, right? Laying down his life for souls. That is a true hero. And so let us make this distinction. True heroes are rare and ought to be praised and honored by all. Okay, I think immediately of priests and martyrs and missionaries who expose their lives to convert souls, especially in pagan countries. You know, we can take the example, and it's a lovely story, of the, of the eight North American martyrs. Now remember, these, these, the, uh, these men, they were Jesuits from France, and they poured out their blood in North America in order to bring the faith to the Hurons, the Iroquois, and the Mohawk Indians. Five, in fact, of the eight North American martyrs were martyred in Canada, and three were martyred in New York State at, um, at the location of Arisville, which is a place where we go on a pilgrimage every year. Um, the, the SSPX organizes an annual pilgrimage to Arisville. 
In addition to priests, nuns, and missionaries who might be hailed as heroes, we can also consider doctors and nurses who attend to patients who have uh, contagious diseases and viruses. Uh, if they were to die, having exposed themselves, uh, this is not suicide. I mean, obviously they are, they are there for the purpose of helping the sick. So even our Lord said this, right? In, in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, he says, quote, Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but those, rather, who can damn your soul. So we ought not to worry excessively on those who might lose the body. It's the soul, ultimately, that must be saved. And another quote I'd like to throw at you is from Matthew chapter 10, and this time verse 39, where our Lord says, quote, He who finds his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake will find it. So that is a beautiful quote. So hopefully that answers your question then as, as far as is, you know, laying down your life. You know, you think of a soldier. A soldier, he lays down his life for his country. Um, that soldier will certainly be blessed by God. I think of the Medal of Honor that was uh, given to a young man. Um, he was from Garden Grove, California, and his name is Michael Mansour. And on September the 29th, um, in 2000, I think it was 2010, 2008, I could be wrong on that date, uh, but Michael Mansour was in Iraq, and he was on top of a, of a building um, with two other uh, of his Navy SEALs. Uh, he was a Navy SEAL, and by the way, he was a devout Catholic, um, and he was, you know, a, he was a man that was known for his morals in the military, um, often going to confession and even every day praying his rosary. Of course, with the name Michael, right? Named after the great St. Michael the Archangel. But one day while he was exposed on top of this roof and he was given support fire to the men down below, a, an, a grenade was tossed at him, you know, up on top of the, of the roof by insurgents. And so he saw this grenade you know, land right next to his two buddies. And without, without hesitation, you know, he simply screamed grenade and he jumped on top of the grenade and smothered the blast with his own body. And of course, it just ripped open his chest. Um, but he saved the lives of those two men. They immediately evacuated him, got him into a helicopter, but he will end up passing away about a half an hour or so after that explosion. That man is a hero. And how, how beautiful, right, that it was on the feast of St. Michael, September 29th. So just a beautiful story there. Again, that if you want to research more, his name was Michael Mansour, and he was given the Medal of Honor um, after his death. His family received it on his behalf. Now let's see this question. Does the church forbid cremation? So in short, yes. The church always has always forbidden the practice of cremation of bodies. You can see first Pope Boniface VIII decreed the penalty of excommunication to those who practice cremation. And it's Pope Leo XIII who actually would enforce a law which would forbid public Christian burial to those who um, ended up getting a cremation. It was considered, why? A denial, a denial of the, of the resurrection of the body, which was you know, greatly denied by the Freemasons during the French Revolution. So, however, the practice you know, of forbidden cremation, it goes back centuries, okay? And it's, it's essentially connected uh, with the church's teaching on the fact that by baptism, our bodies become a sacred temple of the Holy Ghost. So the church would admit, though, of rare exceptions, such as during epidemics, 
or uh, you know, great outbreaks of viruses and diseases. In this case, it may be permitted. Unfortunately, Pope Paul VI in 1963 made allowances for cremation as long as it was not done out of a hatred of the faith or a denial of the dog of dogma. And so we see here once again, once you give some liberties, you know, it's it's like the old adage, you give them an, an inch and they'll take a mile. And so, yes, the post-conciliar church has taken miles and miles out of that uh, permission given by Paul VI in 1963 for the allowance of cremation. You know, it's kind of like compared to the Trojan horse. As soon as it gets in, um, you know, the exception becomes the rule. And it has contributed in many ways to the cheapening of Catholic funerals. I mean, how many times now a person would be robbed of the opportunity of so many prayers and so many graces as the person would lay in state or, or you know, the, the, uh, the wake when people would come and pray around the body, pray the rosary. Um, the, and by the way, the death of a person can be the conversion of so many other people when they see that person. You know, and of course, it, it's, it's hard for us to see our loved ones um, in the funeral home. Of course it is. And yet at the same time, there's also uh, an amazing consolation that can be given as we see that body that has been the temple of the Holy Ghost for so long, that has received Holy Communion, that has been baptized and, and anointed with the holy oils, hopefully at the moment of extreme unction at the end. And that body, you know, it may be dead, as St. Paul says, but it's not, it's not going to be dead forever, okay? We compare it to the sleep, right? We say that the dead are sleeping because they're going to wake up. They're going to rise at the end of the world, the general resurrection. So that is ultimately why cremation as a practice would be forbidden. So now we're going to move on to the last question, um, which is why does the church or what does the church teach concerning drugs and alcohol? Firstly, as regards alcohol, it is certainly not a sin in itself. Okay, obviously, if it was, our Lord would have sinned because, remember, it was at the um, the wedding feast of Cana that our blessed Lord worked a spectacular miracle for the young couple that was getting married, where he actually converted water into wine. Remember the story, okay? There was six stone pots. That's the number six. And each of the stone pots would roughly have, you know, carried 20 or so gallons of water. So when our Lord told the waiters to fill those pots of stone up to the brim and to carry them to the chief steward, it was during that, that procession that the water miraculously changed into the best wine that man had ever tasted. And if you do the calculations, it's about 120 gallons of the best wine. Okay, so, you know, I love Bishop Sheen's quote where he says, quote, the unconscious waters saw their creator and blushed. You know, you can think of Christ looking down at the water and in his reflection, the water looking up, seeing their creator, they blushed and turned into some delicious red wine. We also know why uh, alcohol cannot be evil in itself, because our Lord shows it as the substance in which during every mass, he would change into his own blood. So let's put away the, any of these arguments which say that alcohol in and of itself is evil. Now we're going to say, however, the abuse of alcohol is certainly sinful. Why? Well, because it injures the health and it often leads to other sins, other sins of scandal. You know, it says in the book of Romans, chapter 13, verse 13, it says, Let us walk in becomingness, 
not in drunkenness. So by habitual drinking, one will shorten his life and thereby neglect to the support of his family. And you might say that drunkenness is a form of slow suicide. Okay. Secondly, as regards the use of drugs, you know, the popes have all taught that drugs are always illicit. Why? Well, because it compromises our ability to choose. It compromises our ability and our freedom of choice, which is the freedom of the will that we have. Drugs are one of the main threats, in fact, facing uh, our generation and especially facing children. And public authorities have a grave duty to fight against the culture of drugs, which is really a culture of death, okay, with nothing but false promises of happiness. Even the supposed soft drugs that you might hear about are illicit and sinful. Why? Well, because they're gateway drugs. They, those softer drugs, or whatever you want to call them, they will, eventually, uh, they will eventually lead a person to stronger and worse forms of drugs. You know, looking at some of the statistics, which is so sad, every day in this country, 130 people roughly die from the opioid overdose. That's about 70,000 people a year. Okay, and over half, so that's 54% of all those poor people dying every year of that 70,000, 54% of them are under the age of 18 years old, which means that we are, we are letting down our children. You know, and this is the irony of ironies, because we live in a time period where supposedly children, you know, should never be safer with the laws that the government imposes. And yet one would have to be absolutely blind to not see this, this omission. Why are we not trying our hardest to, to crack down on drugs? And so this is a question that we must demand of our politicians and we must demand of our culture at large to do away with this ability to, you know, to have drugs and that it should be somehow legalized. I mean, here in California, as well as so many other states now, it is legal to, um, to smoke marijuana. And so that's, that's sad. And I sure hope that our youth who are listening are mature enough to reflect on the seriousness of this. Okay, This isn't just an old priest. Uh, don't make fun of my age. This isn't just an old priest who is telling you avoid drugs. This is common sense. And so I pray then that this catechism class was helpful. Uh, we saw an awful lot, uh, a little long today with uh, 40 minutes, uh, but I do pray that you are getting something out of these lessons. This again concludes now the fifth commandment. So let's say a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. God bless you all.